0: Well, again, good morning. Uh, Welcome. Uh, So glad that you are here uh, with us. I think we're all probably a little bummed that winter showed back up, but I guess it is—it's January, so what else you gonna do? Um, But really glad that you're here. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor here at the Olathe Campus of Christ Community. It's good to be together. Uh, Why don't we pray uh, for God's help? Ask Him to to be with us in these moments in ways that we can experience as we look at this ancient text. Let me pray. Uh, God, we are dependent on You to speak. And God, we, we long to hear your voice. We long to, to understand and experience your presence. And so I pray that you would do that for us here in this, in this space. God, I believe that you continue to, to speak through your word. Um, and I pray that you would use um, these feeble words of mine um, in each, our, each of our lives. God, that anything that I say that would be unhelpful or distracting would be quickly forgotten. Uh, and God, that you uh, would shine forth um, from your word this morning. Give us ears to hear and hearts eager to change. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the article began the first time I met Tommy Morrison. He told me about the time he teleported himself out of a bar. Okay, I've never never really been a fan of of boxing, um, and I'm not particularly a fan of teleportation either, Uh, but I, I I had to keep reading, right? Um, This was an article in the Kansas City Star about a year ago. Morrison had had lived in Kansas City for a stretch. Uh, For those of you who don't know who he was, uh, he was the the world heavyweight champion, 1993, uh, defeating George Foreman right there. Great picture. Uh, He was also the co-star of everybody's favorite Rocky movie, uh, the fifth one. Um, (laughs) Didn't even know there was five, but uh, he was. Um, And in the early 90s, Tommy Morrison made millions of dollars, and he partied partied really, really hard, and by 1996, he was diagnosed with, with HIV. And then, according to this article that I was reading, he spent the remainder of his life living in a reality that really didn't exist outside of his own mind. So the teleportation thing, for example, but really, that was the least of his troubles, Uh, He was convinced that HIV, that he didn't have it, uh, that it probably wasn't even a real thing for anybody, uh, that it was simply an elaborate conspiracy uh, developed by his boxing rivals to get him out of boxing. And he spent all of his years, remaining years, believing that. In fact, being absolutely convinced that that was true. Even when his health began to fail, even when uh, the marks began to show up on his arms, even when it turned into full-blown AIDS and he was on his deathbed, he continued to believe it's, it's got to be something else. It can't be this thing that had ruined his career. And living inside this house of lies cost him his life. And it's, it's pretty easy for me, you know, to sort of callously dismiss him as just sort of another whack job, right? One too many punches in the head, uh, maybe a little too much with the drugs, right? And, and to just sort of dismiss him as, as a, his own own problem. And yet I don't think it takes the sad story of Tommy Morrison for us to realize it. I mean, I, I think we all know it. The most dangerous lies are the ones we tell ourselves. The most dangerous lies are the ones we tell ourselves. And I, I know that I have trust issues. It's just part of, part of who I am. I, I mean, if you can doubt it, I probably do, right? So whether it's something I hear in the news or uh, politics or, you know, entertainment or history even, I mean, doesn't it sometimes feel, I mean, some of you are with me on this, sometimes it just feels like everybody's spinning something, right? Everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's trying to, you know, make the truth sort of, sort of their own. And it's, it's so easy for me to, to become cynical or doubtful in those situations. And honestly, for some of you, if you're not a Christian, maybe that's exactly what you think of us Christians, right? Uh, maybe pastors especially, maybe me specifically, right? I, I, I get that. That just sort of comes with the territory. But I, I do wish that we, that I approach my own heart with that same level of scrutiny. Psychologist Dr. Chris Thurman writes, the lies you tell yourself every day are killing you. Every lie that goes through your mind is slow, self-inflicted, psychological, and spiritual death, often without, without, even, without even realizing it until it is too late. It was obvious with Morrison. And it was pretty obvious in this ancient church in, in Corinth, this church that we've been looking at for these last few weeks. Do we really think we're so different? I mean, I mean, sure, you know, the lies, it's not lies about teleportation or boxing conspiracies. But I, I lie to myself about who I am, about, about the things that matter most, or the things that I, I brag about or, or want to hide away in shame. A slow, self inflicted death. Sounds fun, right? So, this is our fourth week in 1 Corinthians. Uh, and if you're, if you're new here or a guest this morning, let me just sort of catch us up a, a little bit as we, as we jump in. You see, the, the church in Corinth, like most churches, was a beautiful mess. I mean, God was clearly at work there doing things, right, changing lives, and yet they were a mess, problem after problem after problem. But their biggest problem was that they didn't think they had any problems. It was classic self-deception there in that community. And today we're going we're gonna to look at all of chapter 3. There's a lot there. We heard it read just a moment ago. But I actually want to begin by reading towards the end, because Paul is summarizing everything he said up to this point. Let me, let me read beginning in verse 18, and then we'll, we'll back up in a bit here. But verse 18, he says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. The most dangerous lies. Are the ones we tell ourselves and as we look at chapter 3 this morning we're going to see three lies in particular all of which honestly i mean if, if i'm talking about me right hit just a little bit a little bit too close to home lie number one is i'm okay i'm doing okay my job's okay my family's okay work's okay, School, school's okay, and my heart, my sins, I mean, they're, they're okay, right? I mean, they're, they're not too bad. I've got them mostly under control. Yes, I've, I've got problems, but, but who doesn't? All in all, I'm okay. And I, I would guess that the majority of us in here this morning would probably say something very similar to that, right? We're all just sort of okay, Now, now for the Corinthians, they would have actually said it a whole lot stronger uh, than that. Um, I mean, we we at least try to sound a little bit more humble, right? Um, They they would have said, we're awesome. You know, we got this, right? If if you've been with us these last few weeks, I mean, they are are morally superior to everybody else. Uh, They are smarter, uh, more spiritual. They think they've got everything going on. I'm doing okay would have felt like a, a big understatement for them. But look how Paul begins this chapter... In chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, he says, But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? In other words, when he says they're of the flesh, that's, you know, we don't really talk like that, right? What, he, what he's saying is that they're, they're just being merely human. Without the spirit, without the mind of Christ, right? Things that we, we talked about last week. That they, they are effectively living as if, as if God has made no difference, right? I mean, think about it. Paul spent about a year and a half with them planting this church there at least three years have gone by and there's still a bunch of babies stuck on milk, unable to feed themselves, living as if the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done means nothing. Living as if the death and resurrection of the Son of God doesn't change absolutely everything in our lives and in our world. And that doesn't sound familiar at all, does it? Let me just... Look at us. Now, let me just say here, if you're, if you're not a Christian, you might be able to see right through us, because you, you probably know, right, that when we Christians say, I'm doing okay, or we're just fine, or everything's great, or we, we put on this, this face, I'm, I'm guessing you're, you're probably able to see right through that, and you know that we're lying to ourselves, the Bible talks about this, how, how sin is so deeply rooted in our hearts that even after we've met Jesus, we often continue to fight, continue to struggle, continue to wade through this, this muck in our lives. And so if you, if you are frustrated by the hypocrisy that you see in the church, think about how Jesus must feel. You and Jesus might have a little bit more in common than you realize. And for us who are Christians, I mean, maybe we'll take Jesus seriously on Sundays, like at least for, you know, an hour or two. Or, or maybe you'll even come to him, or maybe this is, how, this is part of your story, you know, and come expecting, hoping that he would actually sort of uh, smooth off some of the roughest edges in our lives. You know, the, the big ones, right? The things that are a little bit more embarrassing, the things that we don't really like others to, to know about. If you could just kind of take care of those things, Jesus but why haven't I changed more? Why, why is it that our, our lives so often look the same as everybody else's? Why, why are we still so often the same mess as we were when we started, for many of us? Oh, come on, I'm, I'm doing okay. Well, the truth, the truth is God expects us to grow. Here's why this "I'm okay" lie is is so dangerous. If you don't think you need to grow, you're not going to grow. And honestly, if you don't think you need to grow or, or change or or develop into the person that God wants, if you don't think that's that's true of the, you, then why would you even need Jesus in the first place, kids? It's sort of like sort of like living inside the Lego movie. Um, which I realize, kids, for some of you, that's like, that's like the greatest thing you have ever heard me say ever, right? Because uh, life inside Bricksburg, everything is awesome, right? I mean, that's what the song says. Everything you see or think or say is awesome. And when we're convinced that everything is awesome, we don't question anything, Right? We're just sort of blindly complacent about oh, what's right and what's wrong and what is and what isn't. And meanwhile, you know, Lord Business is trying to take over the world, right? I mean, that, that's, that's really what that movie's about. It's about living in this world of self-deception. And Lord Business wants us to think that everything is just okay. It's fine. It's awesome. But everything's not awesome. It's not okay. I'm, I'm not okay. I have a long way to go, and God expects me to grow. If you know Jesus, you should, you should be able to see progress in your life. I mean not, not perfection. Don't, don't be naive, but changes. Changes in the things that you value, in what you love and how you express those loves, Changes in the things that define who you are and, and give your life meaning and significance. God doesn't save any of us to leave us where we are, and I, I know, I, I say this like every week, so it's probably just getting old, and it sounds so hopelessly outdated, um, but if you want to change, I mean, if you're a Christian, you want to change, you want to grow, you want to become uh, this person that God intends for you to be, you, you've got to engage in the spiritual disciplines, right? It's, it's a broken record, sorry, that's just the reality, right, of, of daily reading your Bible, of praying, of spending time in solitude, as well as time building into community so people can speak into your lives. You actually have to fight the sin in your life to not just be okay with it and, and let business be as usual. It, it's, it's the only way for us to change. And Paul here, he gives, he gives two warning signs of, of this self-deception. He, he mentions in verse three both jealousy and strife. Because that I'm okay attitude, it leads to a breakdown in community. Because you might think you're okay, but I'm guessing the people closest to you, they know better. It leads to a breakdown in in any relationship. Because once you believe that lie, it so quickly leads to another. Lie number two, I'm pretty important. Uh-huh, right? Right? I mean, jealousy, right? Jealousy says, uh, I deserve what you have. And strife says, I'm willing to do anything to get it. I'm willing to do anything that I possibly can uh, to assert my rights, right? To, to get what's, what's coming to me. It, it may be for some of you why, why your marriages are a mess, right? Or maybe just your relationships as a whole. This, this idea, right, that, that our own inflated sense of, of self-importance The most dangerous lies are the ones we tell ourselves. So this is is where the whole um, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos stuff comes in. It's a little bit strange. It sounds that way to us. You maybe even remember back in chapter 1, Paul added to that, I follow Cephas, I follow Jesus. I mean, what's, what's going on there, right? What are they arguing about? Obviously, there's some fight happening in the church. What's it all about? Well, the easy answer is we don't really know right? That happened a long time ago. We don't, we don't know the specific context of what's happening in, in that community. Uh, there have been a lot of guesses. Uh, one really good one, I think, is that, that uh, the church itself there in Corinth is a very multicultural, multi-ethnic, uh, multi-religious background environment. And Apollos is a Greek name. Paul was a Roman citizen. Uh, Cephas is the very Jewish name of Peter. Could be it. It could be dividing sides based on ethnicities and what they think multiculturally, how they, how they fit in. That might be it. Uh, others have said maybe it's, they're just arguing about who's the better preacher because eloquence was everything in that community or who's smartest, right? Who has, who has the best handle on wisdom, the greatest tips to live by? We don't, we don't really know what it is. All we do know is that they're fighting. Uh, they're, they're picking sides uh, to be able to decide who's better. I mean, that's, that's really what it is, right? I'm gonna side with this guy because I feel better about myself when I do. That's at the heart of it. And they're ripping this church to shreds. I mean, who doesn't love a good hierarchy, right? I mean, as long as, like, we're sort of, like, kind of towards the top, right? I mean, not if you're down here, but we love it if we're up there. And for most of us, I mean, we love to sort of hobnob with the, the rich and the powerful, the famous, successful, beautiful people, right? We, we all, are, think, or at least most of us, we, we want to be like the cool kids, don't we? or at least at least be seen with the cool kids. Cuz deep down we believe I'm kind of a big deal. I'm important. Look at me. Of course you do realize if everybody's special then nobody's special. Put that on your cat poster, right? <laughs> but that's that's another sermon. Look how Paul levels the playing field in verse five. He switches metaphors. So he started with a parenting metaphor, right? This, this child, uh, you know, feeding, nursing, that kind of thing. Uh, and now he goes, now he goes to the metaphor of a farm. Verse five, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. I mean, just just think for imagine all that went into ancient farming. I mean, it would have been a a, a pretty powerful metaphor, particularly in that day. Uh, I mean, their lives depended on their ability to, to raise crops. And even today, right, a farmer will tell you that there is a lot that goes into it that is completely outside of their control. But take out modern machinery, fancy irrigation, take out genetically modified seeds and and chemicals, all these things, and you can plant and you can water. And The rest, it's not up to you. I mean, God's got to decide what kind of nutrients are there in the soil that that plant needs. God's going to decide the weather patterns and uh, how much rain comes and when that rain comes and how much sunlight and even the entire process of of, of photosynthesis and the, the temperature and all of these things. I mean, you think about the process that goes from one seed turning into multiple, into food. There's a whole lot in there that's completely outside of our control. And Paul's saying, only God can make it grow. You can plant, and you can water. And yes, we all think we're very important. Of course we do. But, but Paul is saying, if we'd actually stop to think about it for a moment, looking at one of the most you know, simple, everyday metaphors imaginable, yeah, we think we're important, but actually actually, God's pretty important. God is the one who makes it, makes it grow. Listen, this, this doesn't mean that we're, that we're insignificant. It doesn't mean that we don't have meaningful work to do. I mean, imagine the world without any farmers, right? But God is the one who divvies up the responsibilities and he is the one who gets the credit for the results. It's not that what we do loses value. I mean, I think it's just the opposite. It's that we acknowledge God's role in it as well as our dependence. And this, I think, has implications for everything. For everything that we do, everything that we are. For example, God, God has put you where you are. Regardless of your role, whatever, whatever that looks like in your particular situation in life, he has put you there. That doesn't mean you can't make changes. But if it's your job to plant seeds and plant seeds for the glory of God, if it's your job to change diapers or to answer the phones or manage other people's money or to preach sermons or to study for tests, then do those things for the glory of God. That, that's, that's, just, that's where he's put you. And when, for example, you share your faith with somebody else, you can plant and you can water. And we're responsible to do so, but only God can make it grow. Which I've got to tell you is probably one of the most frustrating parts about being a pastor. About how little is actually under my control. And I'm a control person, right? I want to know that if I do this, this, and this, then people are going to grow and change, and that I'm going to experience it. And essentially, what Paul says is just sort of tossing out seed. Everything else is up to him. That's why this Van Gogh hangs over my office, uh, over my desk in my office. It's kind of a humbling reminder, right? That this this is who we are. Just tossing out seed. And this metaphor, it's not just for pastors, and church leaders or whatever. It's not, it's for all of us. For all the work that we do. To, to realize that, that God has put us where we are, and that at the end of the day, whether it's marketing or parenting, the results, they're, they're up to him. That he is gonna do what he wants to do. And our call, our responsibility is simply to be faithful, to keep planting, to keep watering to keep being faithful with our kids, to be faithful in our school, faithful in our neighborhoods, and in our offices, and leaving the rest up to him. And this, this means, and here's, here's Paul's point, really. It means that within the church, no matter who you are, what you do, who you follow, in the church, there's no room for jealousy and strife. Because at the end of the day, God, God gets all the credit. And your life and mine. We're, we're just, we're one. That's what, he, that's what he says. We're all in this together. And so essentially, going back to Paul's first ma- metaphor, he said, don't, don't be such a baby, right? Don't, don't worry so much about who you are and what you do and what your role is and how important you think you are and yada, 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 right? We, we, we do this all the time. And so maybe, maybe simple next step, right, for this week. And, and whatever it is that you do, wherever you spend the majority of your time, I mean, just think about that for a second. We, we're created for worship, right? I think think we'd say that if you're you're a Christian, we were created to worship God. And if we spend the majority of our waking hours at work, those things need to go together. That that we need to find worship and worth and value in our work. That The the primary way that you and I love our neighbors often is through the work that we do. And doing it well. Doing it out of love and grace to them and to be able to see. And so here's, here's the next step. To simply acknowledge God's role in whatever it is whatever it is, to, to be able to step back for a moment and just acknowledge, you know what, I'm, I'm not quite as important as I think I am. But at the end of the day, it's all up to God. Wait a second here, because I think it can be really easy to hear this uh, and think that that kind of gets us off the hook, right? Which is, which is lie number three. I can just sort of do whatever. Um, that it doesn't really matter, right? And some of us maybe have this philosophy, you know, God's going to forgive me anyway. At the end of the day, it's all going to be worked out and fine. And, you know, it's all up to him. So I can, just, I can just sort of do whatever I want in the meantime. Right, Nathan? Right, right, right? What are you smoking? No, of course not. I mean, that's not even close to what Paul is saying here. And here he, he switches metaphors from, from parenting to, to farming and now, now to building. Look what he says in verse 10. Paul loves metaphors. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, so what he's saying here is that if if you're a Christian, the foundation is always Jesus. Always. Always Jesus. And yet he's also saying that if you're a Christian, that means that we are called to be part of this community, this building, this structure that he's making called the church. Jesus is always building his church. He said he would, right? I will build my church, Jesus said. And you and I get to build upon that foundation as God's fellow workers, And it doesn't matter what you do, who you are, whether you like it or not, if you're a Christian, you're always building upon that foundation. You cannot sort of escape his community, right? His presence. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And so he says in verse 12 then, now if anyone builds, and we're again, all building, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. All right, so let let me translate here. Again, we're all part of this structure, right? This metaphor that he's talking about, this, this building uh, called the church. We're all, we're all part of it if you're a Christian. And, and some of us are building with, with gold and silver and, and precious stones, things that, that withstand, things that last. And others, he says, are building with wood, hay, and straw, right? Generally flammable materials, which, you know, is always a really good idea. And, and then Paul says on, on the day, right, one day, uh, Jesus, he's actually gonna show up Again. Like he's, he's just he's gonna come back. And everything will be tested. And those who have built something lasted will be rewarded, and those who haven't will run in fear, like somebody trying to escape a burning building. And not just any building. Paul says this is a temple that he's talking about. This is, this is a place where God lives by his, by his spirit. Look at verse 16. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple? And here, I mean, elsewhere, right? Chapter six, Paul will tell them that they individually are temples of of God, temples of the Holy Spirit. But here he's not talking about the individual. He's talking about the collective, the group, the church. That's, That's the context that we together, as his church, we are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, his church, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. We might prefer to believe that we can just do whatever. It just doesn't doesn't really matter, right? It's not that big of a deal. God will forgive us. It's all good. But the truth is, God will be the judge. You see, everything counts everything you do, everything you say, everything you don't do but should, every thought you have, every hidden thing, every little thing you thought you got away with, it all matters. And I know it is really easy for me, for probably for most of us, to look at the judgment of God and think of it purely in, in negative terms, right? This is a really bad thing. God's going to come up and judge, right? Or maybe just that it's completely outdated. I mean, do we still believe in that, right? That God is actually going to judge? But you know, there's another way of looking at it. I mean, this is, this is what gives life meaning, knowing that someone is watching, that that history, life is, is moving somewhere, and that there is someone who is going to make it right. And this is so important. God is as concerned with how you do what you do as with what you do. How you work, how you build upon this foundation is as important as the work that you do that's true whether you're a pastor or a community group leader or a Sunday school teacher. It's true in your hobbies. It's true in your workplace, whatever that is, whatever that looks like. It's true in your, your relationships, your school, everything. What are you building with? What are you, what are you building with in your home? What about, what about at work, school? What about, what about in here? What are we building with in here? I mean, are we becoming more like Jesus or just more and more like everybody else. And what about here? I mean, that, that's really what Paul is talking about, right? This, this church that is full of these divisions, these arguments, all these fights, it's, it's, it's ripping the church to shreds. And so what, what are you building here? Are you a complainer or a contributor? Are, are you a consumer or a builder? Now, now listen, don't, don't think for a moment that any of this means we earn God's approval. That, that is not, that's not what Paul's saying. Not, not, not a bit. We, we can never, there's no amount of good deeds, good works that we could possibly do to make God love us, right? To make him owe us. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. It's not opposed to, to giving ourselves to this work that he calls us to which really just makes sense, right? If, if this is the God that we've been learning about here, the, the, the God, the Savior who, who flips everything upside down, then of course he's going to challenge all of our norms. All of, all of the things that we think are, are right and good, of course he's going to challenge them. You know, we also can't think for a moment that this being saved by fire bit, um, that means, you know, you just pray a prayer um, and never think about it ever again, right? It doesn't really ever impact your life and we somehow get this get out of hell free card. It's not what Paul is saying. This foundation that he talks about, it's still Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. And while we build imperfectly upon that foundation, it's, it's still got to be rooted in him and trust in him, faith in him. That's the only thing that saves us. It means to follow him, to give our lives to him however imperfectly and yet, we find so many ways to lie to ourselves, don't we? The next words out of Paul's mouth are the words we started with right there at the end. Verse 18, he says, Let no one deceive himself. Friends, the most dangerous lies are the ones that we tell ourselves, and they have the power to destroy us us as a community, us individually. families, everything that we do can so easily be consumed by these lies, this, even even our souls, right, this slow, self-inflicted death, and some of us here, whether we realize it or not, some of us here are dying. But it doesn't have to be that way. And I realize, maybe you hear Paul's words and you just feel completely deflated, right? Just knocks the wind right out of you. I think, man, how is this even possible? How can I possibly see these lies, right? How can I change? How can I possibly be this person? And it feels so out of reach. But friends, this is why Jesus died. This is is why God came to rescue us, to to set us free from the lies that fill us and surround us, to to set us free and to give us uh, a place to, to stand with confidence and joy, knowing that he has paid it all, that his death and resurrection have accomplished everything that we could possibly need. Confess your lies to him and embrace the truth of Jesus. And we can say with Paul how he ends I love what he says. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. May these words be true of us. Let's pray. God, even as I speak these words, God, they frighten me. Because I, I, I know the danger of lies is that, well, I tend to believe them. And I can't even see my own. God, I pray that you give us eyes to see that through your spirit we would know the ways that we are deceiving ourselves. Whether it's that we think that we're just fine, doing okay, we don't really need anything. Whether it's that I think I'm better than somebody else or or that I just really don't think anything matters that much. I can just sort of do whatever I want. God, I pray that you'd convict us, confront us. That you would break into our hearts with the truth of Jesus. God, I pray that especially for those who um, are here but don't know you. Maybe who don't even really want anything to do with you. God, I pray that through your spirit, even as together collectively we plant and we water, God, I pray that you would make it grow. God, and I pray that that would be true in our hearts. I pray that it would be true in our families, our schools, our work, that we would be faithful planters and waterers and that you would make it grow. Amen.